Hello, welcome to the bonus episode of Stories to Tell in the Middle of the Night. I'm Francesca, whose voice you may recognise from the podcast, and I am here today with the man behind the sound, um, Dr Ian Armstrong, the sound designer. Hello, Ian. Hi, Fran. <laughs> and Pippa Frith, producer, long-term producer for both theatre and this project as well. Hi, Pippa. Hi, Fran. Hi. <laughs> Ian, do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself to start with? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm a sound designer and composer um, based in Birmingham. And um, yeah, I've been working in, uh, on quite a range of projects. I create my own um, sort of electronic music. I'm particularly interested in working with field recordings. So that's um, found sounds and sounds from the environment, which I then use to create musical compositions. And um, so I do that for, I've written work for uh, dance companies, um, for contemporary dance, and I work in the theatre. So I've been working mostly locally in Birmingham with local theatre makers designing sound for their shows. Um, yeah, and I'm also a co-artistic director of Sound Kitchen, which is a sound organisation based in Birmingham. And we run um, live events. We, we curate live events for experimental electronic music. And we design sound walks and um, we do guided listening walks and we've been developing our sound walking app as well so yeah basically I'm my practice is, is all about sound and listening and I find various ways to kind of yeah express that and, and use those skills I suppose. Pepper, want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Okay hi <laughs> um, I am Francesca's long-term producer so we've been working together for Probably about 15 years now, although we have a friendship that spans back longer than that, considerably. Um, so I have worked with her to produce a number of her shows and produced this podcast with her and also the show that it grew out of. Um, outside of my work with Francesca, I work with other artists and arts organisations to make exciting and interesting work for audiences nationally and internationally. Um, across different art forms. So today I'm going to mainly ask the questions and um, Francesca or Fran, it's a bit weird calling you Francesca, <laughs> Fran is um, and Ian are going to answer them. So I'm going to start with the first question to you Fran. This used to be a theatre show. What made you decide to make it into a podcast? Um, the theatre show in itself came from the want to create a, a live late night radio show. So sort of inspired by people who are kind of famous raconteurs and influenced by various films from the 80s and uh, late 70s. This kind of atmosphere of storytelling and someone telling stories in the night, not knowing if anyone is listening or not. So it seemed as though a podcast would be the obvious next step for it. Also, there were a lot of stories that didn't get put into the show because we took the show to Edinburgh Fringe. It had to be an hour long um, and had a sort of almost a narrative arc that, well, it did, that follows the, <laughs> the, um, the kind of pattern of not being able to sleep. Whereas with the podcast, there's, with that form, we can take uh, a much more different approach. We can do different types or parts of the night. So all the things that I couldn't quite fit into the theatre show and the stories that got kicked out of the theatre show, um, I can put into a podcast and it felt like a, 
a place for it to be it feels that there are there's space for people to listen and pause and uh take stock of some of the stories which there you know there potentially isn't in the theater show because it's an hour long and you're sitting there in the dark watching me so um yeah it felt like the right place for it to to what's the words like develop that's it yeah, yeah. um ian how did it feel when we got in touch and said, so we're going to make that show into a podcast series? Um, yeah, how was that? Um, yeah, it was great. I was quite excited about the prospect. I mean, obviously, I'd worked, I'd worked as the sound designer on the original theatre show, and that had, been, that had been a lot of fun. And um, it's, yeah, it, it'd been great. And so I, and because, as Fran said, the original sort of, concept for the show was was inspired and sort of based around this idea of a kind of radio raconteur and so you know the the idea of taking it into the um podcast medium made complete sense to me you know it was it was very much um a lot of the references we were using in the original show were about kind of radio and and that that genre really so it made it made sense to to work um, with with a podcast and um, yeah and I was I was quite excited I I'd, I'd, I'd seen and read some of the stories that didn't make it into the show so I had I had a <laughs> sense of what might be what might be coming um, and so yeah I was quite excited to be involved in, and be asked to work on work on the podcast. Yeah. So obviously you guys work together on the show alongside me and a much wider team um, and then that team changed quite quite a lot when we moved into producing the podcast series. Um, so what, how was that? How was, those, how was that different? What was good about it? What might have been challenging? Maybe Fran, you could start. Um, I think it's, it's a very different thing suddenly um, writing stories that are gonna stay as they are. Um, as Ian, I'm sure will attest, when I perform, I don't always say the words that I've written on the page. <laughs> <laughs> because I enjoy the sense of liveness and I wanted a, a sense of liveness to come through the podcast but also um, a sort of clarity of them as well and so for me the difficulty was suddenly putting these stories into stone and then or, or sound um, and then being solid as they were and being recorded as they were so I think there was a sort of difficulty in that but also retaining that kind of that the liveness of it um, and it was a you know we were two we were in the studio for two days um sort of going through these these stories um, and keeping that sense of it. Um, but actually, I really enjoyed it because it also gave space as well and meant that we could edit things that you can't edit in live performance. So if I right. fluff lines in live performance, that's it. You just have to accept it and go on. Whereas with this, you kind of, you know, you can edit things. Um, so it's a different quality, I think, to the performance of it. And I certainly think you can hear through the episodes me becoming perhaps more comfortable with that medium as well, should I say that? I've said it. Um, <laughs> I think it's okay. I mean, they're listening to them too. So yeah, they exactly. Can hear that. There's a kind of quality of relaxing um, that, that kind of, that, that happens with them as well. And I think just having more space to, to, to work with the sound design as well um, and sort of with the, all these new stories, I think was, was exciting and interesting as well. And letting the sounds take um, sort of the level that my voice was and the stories were which in the theatre show it was kind of slightly more background because there was visual stuff going on whereas with this it's it's really feels like a a collaboration between the stories and the sound how did that feel for you Ian do you was it was it quite a different process um 
terms of that relationship between you? Yeah, and I mean, I think it was it was slightly different, as you said, because there wasn't the rest of the team involved that there was with the theatre show. So we didn't have to think about some of the points Fran made about, you know, we were, there wasn't a set, to, there wasn't things that people were looking at, there wasn't lighting, there wasn't all these other things that were working in conjunction with the sound and with Fran that need to be in a theatre show, need to be very carefully managed in order to to serve serve the purpose appropriately and not overwhelm the audience or distract. So so there were certain things that, like with the sound design for the theatre show needed to be more appeared back in places. We needed there was perhaps less less of it. So it's where I would um in the podcast have be freer to include more sound or more extended sequences of sound in the theatre show that might not have been possible, partly because in the show, Fran was kind of on and off microphone in the, in the theatre performance. So obviously when she's on microphone, there's more scope to have um, a more complex and a louder sound design, if you like, um, than when she's off microphone. Whereas for the podcast, because it's all recorded, then I can balance all the levels and you know really work carefully to get the, the balance right in the studio without any fear of her not, not being heard or anything being too loud or, or too soft really. So that so that was quite and, and as as Fran said, you know, it was it was just about the sound. There's no visual cues at all. There's no so it really comes down to her voice and, and the text and then the additional material that I'm adding. So that's that's quite exciting because it's you know it gives it gives me a bit more scope in terms of how I develop the sound material, really, and how it functions in the, in the stories. And perhaps, perhaps because we... This is the first podcast that we've explored doing, Fran, mm. or perhaps because generally you don't work with directors. When you went into that recording, it was just you and Ian, um, and I was just interested in what happened organically <laughs> in the studio between you. And I think it was, and there was actually, I have to, I have to say, there was Tom as well from Oxygen Roots, who really, actually, he was, he was really good on some of the details as well. He was, yeah. He was, um, and he'd never heard the stories before, so he came at a really fresh perspective. But um, because I kind of work intuitively, but also had never worked in a recording studio quite, quite in the way that we did. Um, Ian was clocking that I was saying the things that I wanted to say because I will improvise. So some of the stories that are in the show, like I know, I know, so I'll sort of get into a rhythm of them. Some of them were new and I was I was reading them and Ian was checking that I was saying the things that I wanted to say and also giving me a sense of uh, intonation because, you know, we, we had a fairly limited time so you can I can hear myself in the headphones, but so there was times when I knew that wasn't how I wanted to deliver it, but we didn't want to listen perform every story and then listen back because we just didn't have the time. So Ian was being my kind of third ear, I guess, if it's a third eye in fear. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a third ear in, in that situation and kind of really um, understanding what I wanted to do and asking me questions about that. So taking on a very directorial uh, role. And I think that comes from working together from the theatre show where I, uh, we built up quite a, a lot of trust. And I think initially you were like, I'm just going to... I'm just going to ask you if this is all right. I was like, no, Ian, you're fine. Let's tell me. <laughs> tell me what this is. Because sometimes detail <laughs> is something I brush past for the performance of it. So I'll take the kind of the performance of something because if it's if, if the intention's right rather than the detail. And I think in the podcast we had 
what the recording we had much more time to explore the detail which Ian was was really really on and it was quite um it was really quite interesting it was a, a good way to work because um and we had a lot of discussions about grammar yeah. <laughs> and me writing wrong grammar <laughs> <laughs> and what that really meant so <laughs> Um, I don't, how did it feel for you, though? Yeah, well, I think this is it. I mean, I, my feeling was, I mean, I having it, it really benefited us having worked together on, on the theatre show because, mm-hmm. as you said, we'd, we'd sort of developed a, a level of trust between us. And also, I'd, I'd had a chance to understand, you know, who you are and what you, were, what you were trying to achieve. And I felt I had quite a good sense of that. And so, generally, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to... Um, you know, in terms of direct, I wasn't trying to push Fran, push you in a, in, a, in a direction that you didn't want to be. It was really about just trying to check with you that what you're doing is what you're doing or what you're meaning, really. And I think, of course, there was the detail checking and that was, as you said, I just, you know, you've spent all this time writing these fantastic stories. I just wanted to make sure that if you did deviate from the script, <laughs> that that was OK, because, you know, I didn't want to get into the studio, into the studio and doing the edit and be like, oh, right, well, we don't have another take of that. You've said it wrong, so that's the way it's going to be. Funny enough, um, you're not the first person <laughs> to mention that to Fran. <laughs> but I think this is it. I think, as you said, you know, in, in, on stage in, in the theatre, it's about the intention and, it, you know, it's not so important. You can Because also, if, if you deviate from the script and, you know, if, if you know the intention, then even if it's, you know... It doesn't quite make sense, or it's kind of a bit confusing. You can, you, there's ways that you can bring that back to make sure the audience understand what it is, whether that's visually or, you know, by ad-libbing some other material, or whatever. But obviously, in a podcast, it's fixed. You can't do that. So it's just about ensuring that, you know, the message is really clear. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, again, as you said, having Tom there as well, I think the two of us, it was about trying to put, put myself in the place of the listener, you know, and so trying to listen for the first time, even though I'd maybe read the stories before and some of them were very familiar to me. It was like, you know, is that clear? Is, you know, both in terms of just like diction and the speed of delivery, but also is the intention of what you're saying clear? I think there was a couple of stories where we had to sort of, yeah, we spent a bit of time just probing that a little bit, didn't we? But just, just to be sure. And I think that was the new stories. It was yeah, the probably. new stories that yeah. um, I wasn't as familiar with because we knew those. And there was a couple of ad, ad-libs, particularly with Supermarket Argument, which actually is one of the old stories, which sometimes in the show, um, when the guy's whispering, saying, we're in this together, babe. And you were like, don't say that, because I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> did you? What did you say? Did you say babe? And I was like, yeah, I thought it was, No. <laughs> <laughs> And it needs that, you know, it needs it needs that kind of that clarity about things. And I think actually there's a kind of luxury in kind of going through the stories and going, what do you really mean by that? So what is your intention and what is your delivery on that? And you being able to hear that as a listener and also knowing what sound might go underneath that. So yeah. that has an impact on on the delivery of it. Yeah, it? that's right. I suppose that was the other thing that I was because at the time. So the stories that we we used that were in the original theatre show we'd kind of had a conversation and agreed that we 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 liked the sound design from those and so the basis for working on the podcast was to essentially work with the sound design that we already had 
for the, the stories that featured in the theatre show and then for the new stories to continue in that vein um, in creating the new the sound design that was required for them. So, so yeah, with the, with the new stories, we hadn't done any work on the sound design. We hadn't generally had any conversations about the sound design when we went in to record the, the text. So, so I, had, I had started to think about ideas about how I might approach that. So I was... I did have that in my mind as well when we were working on the on the recordings of the story. So there may have been times where I was, you know, that was informing my my direction, if you like, or my questions or my my advice. Um, was was thinking about how the sound that I I'm imagining might work with the with the text. Yeah, and I think I'll just say this quickly but I think there was so in the theatre we're working together we're working together I know what the sound is you know we're working with the sound often live in the room to produce a rhythm whereas with the new stories I'd recorded it I've done it and then I would hear what Ian's done with the sound and I would hear the story differently I was like ah so that the first story the Pied Piper Broad Street you know um when I heard that with the sound I was like this is brilliant it's like it's like a filter, but I think it's better than a filter. <laughs> you know, like it's about suddenly um, sort of enlarging what this is and kind of hearing the story in a, diff- in a different way, um, which was a different way from working in the theatre, kind of like suddenly to hear the sound underneath it after, uh, after the fact of recording it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose because in the theatre I would bring I would mm. bring material to the table and then we we, we had the potential then to sort of mm. play off each other with that. You know, we, I could bring something, you could you could try it, and then if it didn't work, or it might inform your performance what I brought mm. um, or not. You know, so that so there was that kind of ongoing sort of development to we. Whereas with the podcast, we still had that kind of relationship, but the story part was then fixed because we'd already done recording and we didn't really have the luxury of saying, oh, well, let's go back and re-record that. Um, but we did continue to have that very much a, a sort of dialogue around the design for the podcast because I think, and I think that was, that was great for me actually because there were some stories where I perhaps struggled more to find a way in and to find a way, you know, to, to find a starting point for the sound design or, I, you know, there was certainly a few stories that I kept putting off <laughs> to the end out of the, you know, out of the many that we, we had and others, because you know, some of them just, you know, ideas came straight away and I had a very clear idea of what I thought would work and it was, so it was really helpful to, to be able to work with, with Fran to, yeah, to test ideas you know I could send a rough draft like what about if we put in these kind of sounds or I take this kind of sound or we give it this kind of feel because I think that's you know a lot of what I was trying to do was like you said with the Pied Piper was to try and somehow capture some of the feelings the you know the emotional content the you know to give it that sort of underscoring if you like of 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 you know sort of partially guiding the listener a little bit in in how they might be feeling in relation to the stories at a particular point and you know and sometimes they that that was very much in parallel with what was going on in the stories um so that it mapped the sort of emotional trajectory of the stories but other times we were kind of playing a little bit with juxtaposing um you know content of that the stories that might you know make you feel one way but then having sounds that are you know completely opposite or going going against the grain a little bit there so so that was quite an interesting process and yeah quite enjoyable i think for me to 
to work in that way together. Mm. Yeah, great. So sound filters and like capturing the soul of the stories through sound. Mm. So just thinking back to perhaps actually the beginning of the theatre show as well, um, what was that conversation and what was that kind of strategic approach to the to the sound design overall for you Ian like how did you how did you reach that well so yeah the, when we were when we started working when I started working on the show Fran Fran had was had um I'd seen the script and I was I was in the space and we were talking you know it was very clear to me and in the way it was staged as well the original show was was playing on this um, sort of radio show, radio DJ kind of format with um, with this sort of navigator, host, show host kind of character, which narrator, which kind of links um, uh, links all the stories together. So it was kind of pre- introducing and presenting um, the stories, and then the stories being in this like almost like the DJ spinning spinning records in a in a show. So so I was quite taken by that idea. Um, as one inspiration for the the sound design, and this the other was um, this notion of the theatre should try to sort of trace a sleep, the the journey through a sleep, sleepless night, the arc of you know trying to get to sleep, being unable to sleep, and then realizing that you've been awake all night as the, as the the dawn um, approaches. So. So those two ideas kind of informed the sound design, both so the radio kind of DJ idea meant I was quite interested in in referencing the kind of medium of sound and also a lot of the stories that Fran um, has written have this kind of this underlying kind of interest and exploration of kind of technology and or analogue versus digital technology kind of you know um obsolete or, or technology that's that's disappearing and also contemporary um, technology so I was quite quite interested in that and trying to reference that in some way so so uh, there are sounds of for example you know the crackle of vinyl there's there's um, the sound of radio frequency radio noise you know the, the noise of tuning in between uh, stations on the radio um, and also this idea of a sleepless night I was quite interested in the kind of sounds that people use as a kind of as a, as a sleep aid if you like so you know there's you know like listening to endless loops of rain or white noise or um, the sound of waves sea waves and um, and drones you know kind of ambient sort of you know sleep music so so there's quite a lot of references in the sound design to to all of these things really and I tried to kind of integrate that particularly with the theatre show, try to integrate those ideas. So, um, for example, the the navigator um, material, there's kind of a theme theme music that accompanies the, the navigator or the, the show host, if you like, the, the character that, 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 that links all the stories together. In the podcast, it's more identifiably Fran, I think, rather in the stage show, it was, she was more of a character. Um, but uh, and so that consists of variations on the sounds of the sea, of uh, radio waves, and we created kind of waves of whispers of Fran's voice. And then the, there's a um, piece of piano music which we used, um, which becomes a kind of drone in different um, iterations of the, the theme music. And that was a, a piano piece by John Field. It's a nocturne 
um, by John Field. And um, John Field was an Irish um, composer, 18th century composer, and he's credited with being the inventor of the nocturne. And the nocturne is a kind of um, a kind of form of, of music, classical music, that was intended to um, evoke or be inspired by the night. It's also the name given to pieces of music that were played at kind of evening parties in the 18th century. So they're often played around 11 p.m. as part of the evening's entertainment. So, so yeah. So there's a little. That's a little, little historical reference <laughs> for you there. But, um, but the music is very beautiful. It's the kind of you know people that know of like Chopin nocturnes and and um, Field. Um, it was Field that's kind of credited with inspiring Liszt and Chopin and that to write their famous piano nocturnes. So, but the music has a particularly beautiful kind of sort of sort of listless kind of yeah. I don't know. Yeah, nocturnal quality to it, I suppose. And maybe some sort of references to the kind of shipping news as well. When I was watching oh, yeah, the, the, sh the show, there was this real sense of um, our relationship with the moon and uh, tides and different kinds of dusk. So I came across this kind of this whole sort of civil twilight and astronomical twilight and different different kinds of dusks and, and twilights that the sort of the um, obviously the circle of how the moon and the sun comes up. And I think there was this idea that um, of kind of ships out there listening kind of in the sea as well, which, which comes back to some of the film references as well. Yeah. So it, but that sort of calmness that is also rubbing up against what some of the stories are saying that yeah. are quite disturbing. Or, yeah. yeah, that's right. And kind of nods to sort of sailing by and, mm. yeah, as you said, shipping forecast or, yeah, those kind of, yeah, sort of Radio 4 sort of references mm. and talk radio references, yeah. Yeah, they're in there as well. Obviously, the language that you use, Fran, in your writing and the way you perform it is, is really rhythmic. And I just wondered how that impacted your sound design and what you thought about rhythms and what um, techniques, uh, methods you might have used around that, Ian. Yeah, so I suppose this, 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 one thing to talk about is the, so the general approach to the sound design was right from the offset we agreed that we never really wanted, particularly with the stage show and this carried over into the podcast, is that we never really wanted to do a kind of realistic radio drama style design and that was, I think partly for me is that the stories are very seldom written as such, you know, they're not, they're not, they are written as the story that someone's telling a story, you know, it's not it's not characters. And Fran's very in very few of the stories is there actually characters that she she embodies and and, and voices really. It's it's more often than not it is a a storyteller a narrator telling telling a story. So it didn't to me it didn't feel appropriate to to then have these you know very detailed very realistic soundscapes with every single sound effect and you know to create to create this world and what and so what I wanted to do was to to reference the stories in some direct way but then so by and to, to do that I used specific sounds of either what would conventionally been sound effects or the setting of the story somehow tried to recreate the environment in which the story was taking place and I mean some of the stories had obvious immediate connections if there was a piece of music mentioned then that would be the starting point but others it would be you know a particular sound effect so for example 
um, little pieces of us. It's, it's principally about someone who likes cutting their toenails and then collecting them. So, so, you know, so that was the starting point, cutting of the sound of cutting toenails, man in the camera shop, it's all about camera. So, I, you know, I thought, okay, we'll start with camera sounds. Um, and for, for, for many of the stories, so that, that, was, that was the way in, really. It was finding a particular sound that, that was a starting point. And then for me, it was a case of, well, how can, I, how can I use that? So that's a reference to the, you know, to the sound world and the, the subject, the content of the story. But how can I make it into something appropriate to accompany this, this story? And so I, I used different techniques to do that. But one which I used quite a lot, particularly with these kind of short sounds, was to try and sort of build up these kind of rhythmic layers, sort of gentle kind of repeating kind of patterns. And that is partly influenced by Fran's writing because her writing and her delivery frequently has a very um, sort of musical, um, rhythmic um, feel to it. Um, both in the words, in the words, and the language that she uses, but as I say, but also the, the way in which she delivers delivers it. So there was there was a kind of nod to that as well, and kind of mirroring that that style. But um, but again, coming back to the the ideas, the original ideas I was talking about about radio references and and referencing the medium of sound. Well, so what I was using were, was often delays where you you hear a sound and then the, uh, the effects process then repeats that sound a number of times often getting quieter and that's a very traditional um, technique in dub music production and uh, dub reggae and that that whole kind of genre so I was trying to again there's kind of references there to nods to other kind of um, forms of production and and working with sound I suppose. I'm just thinking about that collection of sounds how did you get those toenail cutting <laughs> I did actually record myself cutting my toenails <laughs> and my fingernails. <laughs> Although I do have to confess, I did use a little bit of um, foley trickery as well because some of those sounds that feature in Little Pieces of Us are actually grains of rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the sounds of the toenails being sort of poured into the glass that you hear in, into the glass jar that you hear in that story were more likely to be grains of rice being poured into a glass jar than the real toenails because toenails are actually very quiet when you, <laughs> when you, try, when you try to uh, sort of manipulate them and uh, pour them into things you don't make a lot of sounds so. do you find that a lot with sort of that kind of foley stuff that actually from what I understand about foley as well that you have to kind of find alternatives like you know, like it's not. It, you you think the cutting of toenails because when you start cutting kind of toenails, I don't think like this even thinking. Oh, it's a horrible sort of sound, but actually it doesn't sound enough, does it? For yeah, that that is. I think that is often the case as well. Is usually yeah. it's about often often the real sound doesn't actually sound real enough. Mm. And so and that's the art of foley. Really, it's trying to find the sound that is often that that better matches your imagined version of what that sound would be or heightening it it needs to be almost exaggerated it's almost like an exaggeration of that sound particularly particularly with if you're talking about foley which traditionally for film you know then it's about heightening that sort of experience so so yeah sometimes that's the case is that you know 
uh, a kind of a fake version is often more convincing than the real thing. <laughs> um, I think that came, there's the, the ticking, which is part of the horrors, um, which is interesting when you were kind of talking about uh, sounds that people like to, to go to sleep to. Ticking is one of them. Like there's a whole like an hour long YouTube thing about, you know, uh, like listen yeah, to this yeah. to relax or to study to. Like for me, and it kind of, there's some text that runs through all of the podcasts about the clock ticking being the thing that really like starts to send me yeah. off somewhere, especially when you're awake. And I think what you did particularly with the ticking is, is really interesting because it starts to become even more sinister and there's different kinds of ticking to it as well, rather than, you know, like I said, your really basic copy where I was talking alongside like a YouTube video. Yeah, ticking. like a click track. But yeah, I mean, that was nice because, yeah, because I quite like, and this is the thing is with so many of the stories, it was trying to find a kind of quite a simple idea that that wasn't you know that wasn't too complex and wasn't going to detract too much and that's a really good example because it was essentially right okay well let's just have the sound this ticking sound all the way through but then what we tried to do was because the character was questioning what this ticking sound actually was then that's what I tried to reflect with the design is so well let's have this constant pulse this constant tick but let's change what is actually the sound that's creating that tick and so it could we could shift between so the toenails are actually back in there and <laughs> at one point and for everybody recognized from one of the others from the other story but but then there's you know there's the heartbeat there's mm. the kind of various kind of scraping and scratching sounds and I was just thinking about what I was saying what we were talking about about this fully about exaggeration mm. so in in the this pearl. pearl yes sorry pearl mm. the, the woman with the the, the itch, the um, the incessant itch. So that's a really good example because that wasn't a recording of me scratching my arm. That was a recording of me like scratching various brushes. So there was like like a nail brush that I was scratching, and then there was a like a wire brush, you know, mm. like for for DIY kind of sorts. So it's actually so these were like much kind of rougher and. Um, but for me, the, it, it heightened that that sort of sound. The sound of just scratching skin wasn't quite wasn't quite enough for that story. So that's a, yeah, it's a really good example. How so? I don't know whether people th- thinks it sounds like scratching skin. Obviously, that was the intention to represent that. But but yeah, there's actually two or three different versions in there of of scratching different, much much rougher kind of surfaces. I tried sandpaper as well, but that didn't quite have the the right scratching quality to because mm. I think what you're doing is sort of doing the sound that's kind of in your head so like I don't know when you scratch your head obviously it sounds a lot louder to you than it does to someone else and it's that kind of uh taking those stories into a sort of slight a, a turn that's kind of more internal I think especially if you're listening on headphones mm. and that's why it suits the podcast where it does something that the words can't quite do so like at the end of Lucky the story about um Dave the ugly dog um at the end of Lucky um there's a drone that just does like it's sort of it's sort of a bit of hope at the end of lucky and then that drone completely <laughs> undermines all of that which we talked about that, that there's something really still sinister going yeah. going on there so it kind of does a lot of the internal stuff which i think is the real pleasure uh, of a podcast and especially i think listening on headphones works potentially with these stories really really well i think that's one of the brilliant things about working with you in is that you authentically collect a lot of your sounds mm. 
Um, and there was a small moment of personal delight for me <laughs> when the unsung star of the podcast series and theatre show... No, he's not in the theatre show. No, he wasn't, he wasn't the a different show. theatre show. <laughs> um, was my very own beautiful dog, Worcester, um, who plays Dave. Mm-hmm. And I'd just like the listeners to know that Worcester is, in fact, a very good-looking, tricoloured Border Collie Spring and Spaniel Cross. He's not an ugly Dave. He's not an ugly dog no, with a burr for a body. <laughs> he can definitely pick up balls, which Dave can't do. He's, he's athletic. <laughs> but I did, my heart went out to Dave. My heart still... I find Dave very difficult to listen to as a dog lover. Well, so it's the kind of reverse of what happens on film, isn't it? You usually have someone beautiful playing like someone who might have been ugly yeah. in real life. Whereas with Dave, we've got a beautiful dog playing an ugly dog. <laughs> Thank you, um, Worcester. <laughs> so we've covered quite a lot there. Um, I'm just wondering if either of you have got anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap this bonus podcast up. I think there's something in um, that I thought about in, in several of the questions actually, in terms of the man who kept the world turning, which is in the last the last episode. And I think that particularly was the hardest one. That was one of the ones that you were kind of avoiding doing, um, Ian. <laughs> it was yeah. the last... Because we had it in the theatre show and it didn't have a soundscape. Yeah, I think that was the thing. I think I'd, the problem with that for me is we had tried a couple of things for the theatre show and they hadn't worked. So I'd had some ideas and then they hadn't worked. And I, I think that was... So that was partly because it was within a theatre setting as well. So it was, it was partly to do with what I was doing with the sound, but also the context in which it was happening. And so, I'd, I'd, yeah, I had a bit, of a, a bit of a thing about that one because, and in, in the end, we just didn't, we kind of ran out of time a bit in the development. Mm. And so we just decided, well, it's just not of any sound, which was fine and worked in the show. But yeah, so I think I'd been putting it off a bit because it's like, oh yeah, that hadn't worked. And I wonder if, I wonder if it's, it's going to work for the podcast. But then I think, yeah, so I, I had put it off for that reason. But then in the end, I think it, it did work okay. I think what we ended up with. I don't know what you're going to see. And I think that's why I mentioned it, because it references a lot of the other sounds within some of the other stories. So it does something about sort of tying up stuff, oh, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? So it's got, it's got Worcester Dave. Um, <laughs> and it's got some of the other sounds. So there's a real sort of... Because um, I think that's the sort of beauty of it, is there's this subtlety of kind of collecting mm. um, and enveloping some of the other stories and kind of until in, in, it goes into the morning song, which is something very much on its own. And you know, arguably isn't a story, it's it's a kind of finishing. Um, so I think that's why I wanted to mention The Man Who Kept the World Turning, because it does it does something about collecting up the right. stories as well, for me, and, and kind of collecting all those references, for, you know, for those of you out there who love <laughs> those references. What's it called in games? A pineapple or whatever, when you've got to find something that you don't necessarily realise is there. It's a thing! It's um, totally, it's like a game yeah. thing. <laughs> it might not be a pineapple, though. <laughs> I don't think it's a pineapple. Uh, <laughs> tweet at Middle Night Tale. <laughs> if you can let me know what that is. Um, yeah, that's. I kind of just wanted to say that about the, the man that kept the world turning. Um, so thank you to Ian. And you can find out more about Ian's work at Ian with two eyes, ianarmstrong.net. Um, Pippa is at pippafrith.co.uk. You can find out more about all of the other work that she does um, 
lots of great other artists that she works with um, and you can find out more about me at my name so francescamillicanslater.co.uk more about stories to tell in the middle of the night at stories to tell in the middle of the night.com if you want to message us or ask questions you can get us on the twitter at middle night tale that's at middle night tale um if you're interested in the theater text so the original text from the show you can get that on amazon my searching stories to tell in the middle of the night um anything else i think that's but thank you both to ian and Pippa for doing this thank you (laughs) 